yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala Pie Radio's South Asian show. My name's Gerns. I'm joined here by Halima. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm good. I'm good. My first post uh, Ramadan episode. It's been a while. I know. It feels very weird. It feels very weird. Like, so people who observe Ramadan will know, like, the first. Because obviously the, the the first day that is not Ramadan is Eid, um, and Eid like all you do is eat. But then like it feels really weird to be able to wake up in the morning and like eat and drink. My mom asked me like she went to the shopping the other day and she was like, "What do you want?" I was like, "Croissant," because I've not had breakfast food for a month. Yeah. You know, people don't realize because I don't. To be fair, it's my fault because I don't eat like um suhoor, so I only eat like one meal, which is iftar, which is like a dinner meal. There's so many different types of food that you just miss because you just end up dinner eating dinner and then don't get time. You just don't want anything else. Mm. So yeah, I enjoyed a croissant. You know what? This relates to like what we talked about in the chat earlier. First, there was the scones and cream. Then it was um, passing your what's British citizenship test. Now, with a croissant? now, now you've got um, apparently Halima's going to play badminton after this, and now you're eating <laughs> croissants for breakfast. With my family, with my family, like everyone, my sister, for some reason, my sister's like the, the organiser of plans in this family, and then she always comes up with like interesting things to do, and recently her obsession has been badminton, and she's been messaging the group chat that like, every day, like when can we play badminton, when can we play badminton, so she's booked us a court and then resumed to go play badminton. To be fair, I'm just going along. I think I would prefer... Going back to the days when I did any proper sport whatsoever, when we're doing PE. Why was it fun? Yeah, yeah, when we're doing like PE and stuff. Like, it's better than tennis, I feel. Better, it's easier to play. I think that's why I prefer it. It's really easy. That's yeah. why I like it. It's really easy to play. You don't need that much like expert athleticism. Um, yeah, so we're just going to go play badminton. But and also, what's wrong with croissants? You don't like croissants? I, I don't mind croissants, but I'm just saying like... For someone that claims to be so anti-colonial and anti, there's a bit of a few. I won't say red flags. There's been a few blue, white, and red flags over the past um, couple of weeks. Carlos is expecting me to wake up and eat um, baranta every day for breakfast. Sorry, the cholesterol can't. I can't cholesterol. Wait, I would love to. I just hate the cholesterol. To wake up and recite like Marxist literature every day. Yeah, that's why I imagine Alima's life is like, but I'm finding out it's very different. But yeah, oh, guys, you got me there. I love a good but anyway. Going off on a tangent, <laughs> if I go back to it, how was your um eat besides eating loads? It was good. <laughs> um, I don't know, I feel like you know what, I don't you celebrate Christmas, don't you, Carlos? Like with your family, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, like, I'm just using that as, like, maybe, like, an equivalent of, like, cultural holiday or whatever. But I don't, I don't know if you feel the same about Christmas, but I feel like the older you get, like, the kind of magic or the build-up for Eid isn't quite the same. Like, don't get me wrong, I still love it. It's, like, still one of my favourite days of the year, always. Um, Just because I love to get dressed up and, like... um. But the way we celebrate, because, like, in Longsight, so, like, in an area in Manchester, um, all my family are there, like, all my extended family live there. Um, so we basically just house hop. We just go from, like, one house to the next house to the next house to the next house, and each house, there's, like, 20 dishes. 
like no exaggeration at a minimum like 20 dishes in each house so all you do all day is eat so and and it's a nice excuse to like see family that you might like not have seen in a while or whatever but having said that my family are also really close and I see my family all the time it's just nice to do it as like part of a larger celebration of Eid um but I do find that the older you get the older I've gotten I don't know like the kind of magic of it isn't it is necessarily anymore. I don't know if you feel like that with Christmas well I agree, but I think it is weird that you say that the build-up isn't the same because I feel like, so with um, with you guys, you will um, not, you don't start fasting until you're like, I'd say like a teenage age, right? So like, yeah. it's interesting how when it was younger, when you didn't, weren't necessarily partaking in it as much, that that had more of a build-up whereas now when you're actually mm-hmm. fasting and there's more you're, you're putting your body through more as well that now there's not that same build-up well even when I was a teenager I would say just like over the last couple of years like in my early 20s mm. like gradually it's just kind of I think do you know what you know what it is it's just growing up yeah adulting I think that's what it is it's just it's just being an adult like life generally just gets more miserable like <clears throat> things generally are just less exciting I think when you're older um, and now it's becoming um, less and less exciting to retire as well it's getting pushed later and later you're getting less and less like what's the retirement age right now I don't even know I feel like it depends on your job doesn't it what does it matter or they'll increase it by the time we get yeah. to retirement like that's why I don't even pay attention to it. Mm. Um, funnily enough, though, you know, like my sister, um, when I started this job, it's the first time, like, it was my first like, professional job. And I was asking my sister, who'd she'd been on a job, like, already for a couple of years, because like, she didn't really study. And when I was asking her about, because I, I had to, like, decide like, my pension plan and things like that. And I was asking her, oh, what have you done for your pension plan? Like, what have you picked? And she was like, pension plan, what you want about? Why would I have a pension plan? I was like, what? You don't have a pension plan? She was like, we're Asian our kids are our pension plan <laughs> like why would you have a state pension why would you have like an employer pension your kids are literally a pension plan and I was like that actually makes so much sense and then I reduced my pension plan to the minimum I mean whatever it is I don't even know on the one hand yeah on the other hand do you want to are you ready to place that trust in your kids before they're even born yet that they're going to actually end up providing for you you never know what they're going to turn out like. They could turn around and be like, nope, they could be really greedy. You're making that not face, but children. you never know. Absolutely not. I'm raising them, not my children, God forbid. There's just some things that you trust that, you're, that, that you just would never... Because I know how I'm gonna raise them, and I know what culture they're gonna they grow they're gonna grow, they're gonna grow up in. Like the Bengali culture is just a complete given. I've never in my life heard of a single example of a Bengali, a Bengali not taking care of their parents. I've never ever ever seen it ever yeah. in my life. So I'm I'm confident that my That's kids will enough. be my retirement plan. Um, I mean, I'm banking on it anyway because I don't have a pension, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but as we were saying, yeah, life does get less exciting and a little bit more miserable the older you get. So, and I feel like that does kind of also go into kind of like holidays and stuff like that. I have heard, I have heard like some friends say that about Christmas as well. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. I feel like 
first of all, if you ever believed in like Sansa, as soon as you find out the truth about him, I'm not going to say if there's any kids listening, but as soon as you find out the truth. <laughs> and listen to them. Yeah, going to get cancelled by Ofcom because they're talking about Sansa. Um, but yeah, once you find out the, the full truth about Sansa, that obviously takes away a bit of magic. And then I think also it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I can't describe it, but yeah. I haven't really got excited about Christmas in a lot of years. Yeah, honestly, yeah, because it is, I think, just being an adult. Um, having said that, though, like, it is still a special day, you know, and I appreciate being able to spend it with my family because I know, like, a lot of people don't have family around or people have family in different countries. Um, some people are even, like, estranged from their families, mm. you know, like, I don't, I don't take that for granted one bit yeah. because I know. There's a lot, there's, you know, there's, there's whole sections of, of people like, um, particularly like, for example, reverts who don't have like Muslim family for them, Eid can be, and Ramadan in general can be quite like a lonely time. And I know, for example, like um, queer Muslims, you know, who might have been ostracized by their families and communities for them, Eid and Ramadan as well, it's, you know, can sometimes be like quite painful and lonely time. So, um, I definitely don't take for granted that I could spend it with like my 9,000 family members. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, if you've got that situation, you've got to stay grateful for it, definitely. Exactly. And to be fair, I think, I think it is, like we're saying, just part of growing up. And I think a lot, a, a big, I feel like when you kind of hit certain life stages, like um, Ram- Ramadan and Eid and like things like you know culture holidays at Christmas become a different thing like I now think about kind of like how I would do it for my kids and all of that so I'm, I'm you know in the next couple of years hopefully when I have children that will be like my excitement for Eid not for myself but like to do it nice for my children yeah that's a really nice way of thinking about it actually I've, I've heard that quite a lot like I've listening to in people who are um, doing very well in life and um, get to experience quite a lot of different um, things that um, people who have less don't they've sort of lost that enjoyment because like they new experiences don't have that same buzz to them because realistically they've already done it so they then now get their pleasure from introducing new people to that and watching them enjoy it like yeah definitely yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. well yeah, Eid Mubarak as well. Um, I got a question. Um, what is the difference between the two Eids then? Because obviously you've got the Eid that comes straight after Ramadan, and then you've got another one a few 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 months later. So what's the difference? Like colloquially, Muslims call it like um little Eid and big Eid. So Eid al-Fitr, which is little Eid, the Eid that we just had, Eid, Eid after Ramadan, and then generally it's about two months later. It's Eid al-Adha, which is um. The South Asia, we call it like Kurbani Eid. So Eid al-Fitr, like little Eid, is like to the celebration after Ramadan. Um, and then um, the big Eid is um, to is is like to celebrate um, Abraham's like sacrifice. You know when God told ordered Abraham to sacrifice like his son. Um, it's it's to like celebrate that basically, and that's when we have like the um i i quite like that i i really like the kind of like the symbolism behind that eid because um basically as muslims you're ordained to sacrifice like an animal and then feed the poor 
so that Eid is all about like I mean to be fair charity is like all through Ramadan as well like it's one of the five pillars of Islam is giving charity and like all through Ramadan you have to give like fitr which is a special kind of um charity um but but the but Eid al-Adha is, is like specifically you slaughter an animal um and and like you keep a third for yourself a third for family and then a third you give to the poor and every single family does that um so like people who are less fortunate like it's a good time for them you know um they get quite well looked after so that's the difference so in a way is um eid post ramadan is that more to do with sort of bettering yourself and then the big eid is that more to do with giving on to others or um i wouldn't say the celebration necessarily is 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 I mean, like bettering yourself is always that's always kind of like um, in, you're always instructed to do that. Ramadan is definitely a time of like spiritual realignment. Eid is just a celebration mm. post Ramadan, which is just a post Ramadan celebration, like for um, all our efforts, essentially, um, as far as I'm aware, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, because I was interested because I heard you like last week describing it as like say big Eid and I was like oh, okay that's really interesting because from like an ignorant outside perspective I always perceived it as being post-Ramadan was the big Eid and then the one two months later was like sort of the smaller one but no yeah yeah no no we call we call um, the Qurbani Eid like the big Eid Eid al-Adha the big Eid right so if you don't already follow manga masala on instagram what are you doing go follow us at manga masala radio you will have seen um a reel that we posted recently um when we were doing this thing where we're giving our first impressions of each other and my um fiance who is how the person through which I know Halima, and we're saying how her first impression of Halima was, well, not her first impression, but something that stood out to her, was that she'd always see Halima popping up on her Instagram, randomly commenting on Ellen DeGeneres' posts. Like, literally every single one. Like, I love you, Ellen. Um, I rate you 10 out of 10, blah, blah, blah. Just some a play on whatever the original post was. It's a very interesting behaviour, <laughs> I must say. But yeah i i i can't believe i put myself up for scrutiny like this i do have to explain i used to love ellen i used to love ellen like before she got cancelled and all her kind of like problematic all the problematic things about her came out um i used to love her i used to love her show i used to you know as kind of like white savior-esque as it was you know, there were certain segments of it that just, that I just couldn't help but have my heartstring tugged by it. Um, and also, like, I just love the fact that she is kind of, like, an openly, you know, queer woman who is very proud of her identity and kind of back in the, I don't know when it was, like, the 90s or 80s or whenever, whenever it was that she came out, like, it was kind of, like, she was one of the kind of um, first major, like, TV personalities to kind of, like, come out and and really own that um which i just thought was so impactful and it just really really moved me mm-hmm. um so i did i can't lie i used to love ellen yeah. and i do have i don't i'm not a very like i'm not very into pop culture at in the slightest like i'm probably the least pop culture-ish person ever um i'm generally out of the loop and i don't really tend to kind of like 
um, I, I would never use the word like idolize celebrities, but kind of like have favorite celebrities or whatever. Um, usually if I like a celebrity, I like them for a reason. Like if I like, I'm trying to think who do I love that I always say, like Leon Bridges, for example, I love his music and I love him as the maker of that music, right? Um, but yeah, I just, so there's only a handful of celebrities who I like really, really love in that way who, and I will, you know, I won't shy away from showing my love to these people. I do very often. You think Ellen is bad. Go down Leon Bridges' Instagram. Oh, not for the past because I've been on there. Go down Leon Bridges' Instagram. I'm not going to lie. I do DM him all the time. I respond to his DMs. Every time he, he puts out an, an unreleased, you know, snippet of music, I will say, babe, release this ASAP. Babe, when are you going to release this? I do message him like, babe, when you come to Manchester, go on, do us a little show. Um, Yeah, I, I do that. I don't shy away from showing my love to, to the people that, you know, I... I whose entertainment I enjoy. Um, and Ellen was one of them. However, mm. not anymore. So this is the thing, right? So you've just said about how you're not someone that would normally, um, for need of a better word, idolise celebrities that much. You're not someone that would yeah. be a massive um, I'm just fan. Like the future, yeah. yeah. However, there are these few people and now, obviously, a couple of years ago, when all these um, allegations came out surrounding Ellen's behaviour, I believe, on the server show, um, and a lot of people were, it, I, think, I think not just you, but a lot of people were very shocked because she obviously comes across as such like a nice, warm nice human being, so you wouldn't expect that. Um, but how is that for you, like, kind of dealing with that as some one of the very few people that you are openly a fan of then coming out and kind of realising, oh, they're really not the person who I thought they were? To be fair, like, even when I was really, really like, oh, my God, I love her, I always knew, you know, like, I always say every, like... I can't think of a single celebrity who I'm like, I love this person and I am absolutely completely confident that there's, they're not problematic in any way whatsoever. So I feel like even just just by virtue of the fact that you have a, a celebrity fave, they have to be a problematic fave. Like sometimes in life, you just have to accept that something is a problematic fave, right? And Ellen, I always knew... Um, that that she was very very like as I said before I described her show and certain segments of her show as very white savior-esque you know that very kind of like I think she really very perfectly you know represents like you know that that specific type of liberal America that is kind of on the surface level liberal but actually not you know like her budding up with the Obamas and just all of that kind of stuff, you know. So I, I um I always knew that about her. I just still liked her, I guess. Like having known that, like it wasn't yeah. Um and <clears throat> but I think I think the more I kind of like heard more things about I think there's there's a level to it, right? But like when I was still like when I still liked her, I thought it was more benign than it was. Like I thought it was more kind of like inconsequential. Like oh she's as you know, problematic as every white person kind of inherently is, yeah. right? I, I kind of just thought that. Um, whereas I have obviously since realised I looked a little bit more deeper than that and um, 
and now I just kind of like but the thing is because there's always a level of detachment anyway because I'm not that into like celebrity culture it wasn't that deep to me to just be like okay yeah calm whatever yeah um like there's there's only a few celebrities really I think that I would like uh, and also like I think I think I found out or like the things that came up came out about her was after I kind of stopped kind of really liking her anyway I just kind of like grew up a little bit or whatever <laughs> um, but yeah I think for me personally I have I'm, I'm not I'm not ever even if I really like an, a celebrity I'm never that invested to for me to like be genuinely upset yeah only if you are a few artists who I would be genuinely upset to have to cancel like someone like Leon Bridges just because I listen and love their music so much it would really really have kill me to ever have to cancel him but other than that, I, I, I'm, I'm very detached, to be honest with you, from celebrity culture. Yeah, because I suppose from a religious um, aspect as well, um, there shouldn't really be anyone that you're idolising except well, yeah, that's why I said, Exactly, that's why I said, like, I'm not going to use the word, like, idolising, yeah. because like, that holds a certain kind of, like, resonance um, to me as Muslim. Yeah. Um, and so, no one's meant to be perfect apart from God anyway. Like, yeah and well I mean that's the thing right like there's 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 always that level of like human fallibility I do think sometimes with celebrities we hold them to an unrealistic standard and we expect that you know like and, and this is a kind of really scary thing and you see it all the time on platforms like Twitter right like where a celeb a certain a certain celebrity will be like absolutely lauded right they'll be like put on this pedestal and 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 all of this and then they kind of like the first sign of a, a, a slip up, they will just be torn down. We saw it really recently with like, you know, Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. I don't know if your timeline was the same as mine, but like, obviously with her starring in the new Batman film, she was really, there was like a period of Twitter where she was like, really, really like celebrated and put on this like pedestal and everyone loves Zoe Kravitz and oh my gosh, she's amazing. And then following the Will Smith Oscars incident, she said something I don't know, she said something against it, basically. And then all of a sudden, everyone hates her. Like, they're putting out receipts, like, she's problematic in this way, problematic in this way. I do feel sorry sometimes for celebrities, and I feel like there is no winning, kind of. You know, I think we don't extend the grace of, like, you know, the, the grace that there is a such thing as human fallibility on celebrities. But then also there's levels, right? Yeah, I'm <laughs> like, going to say... a celebrity yeah. making, like, a stupid comment is not the same as them being... Yeah, so would you say that's this is the thing because I, I what you've just said about like extending celebrities a certain amount of grace in terms of everyone slips up sometimes. Um, I agree with that, and also that that is part of the argument against cancel culture is like, but we shouldn't yeah. do that. But then also I do agree that some people like it. It is necessary and it makes sense to effectively cancel them and I think that level when it is is when they actually do stuff that is it, it's a bit similar between the difference between free speech and hate speech like one is one is like you express your own opinion and the other one is actually inciting hate and violence towards someone exactly and I think it's just up to us as fans I guess to kind of like discern between the two and understand when you know something is genuinely someone just being a bit stupid or ignorant or naive and someone actually having concerted you know concertedly harmful hurtful 
views and actions and behaviors right yeah um i think it's just discernment honestly i think it is just a just discernment and in any case me personally i'm never attached enough to really like think that deeply into it you know yeah which i suppose is a very good thing yeah you know what though i'll tell you one person who i was so upset that i can't listen to you know dutch Avelli. yeah like so he had he's the he had like um um like uh, sexual abuse like rape and like when, with with a very young girl yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um, my most read article on pi radio i can't lie to this i've cancelled a lot of lot of art when i say cancel like i conservatively don't listen to like a lot of artists or like i stop like i like i said because i'm so detached i find it very easy to just like be like okay yeah cool i won't really f with this artist anymore um because of this that and the other reason dutch again didn't really care about him as a person i loved his music i was a massive fan of his music and that's one artist to this day that I'm like, darn it, like, why did he, why did he have to do that? You know, like, exactly, why was he alleged to have done that? Like, um, yeah. so that's, that's one artist who I am actually like, sad that I had to cancel. Yeah. But, yeah. hey, oh. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me that much. Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala. Pi Radio is a South Asian show here. Oh, I'm tired. No. <laughs> you never screw up the intros. You know what? It, it, it's there. Uh, I'm not even going to re-record that, you know, guys. Right, we're here. It's the, it's the second, it's the second no. half. Um, yeah. In the first half, it was me and Halima. We were talking about Eid and we were talking about Ellen getting cancelled. And now I'm here with Simran with a bit of a switcheroo. Um, hey guys, what's up? And I know I sounded stressed then, but Simran, you've been quite stressed over the past few days, haven't you? Oh. So let, let's get into that. So stressed. Um, so if you didn't know, guys, I do my master's um and obviously it's may so i'm like literally at the end of it but i guess it's like the final push now like first semester was relatively easy is not the word but it was a lot calmer compared to this one and then second semester has been like oh my god it hit me like a bus um and i've been telling everyone do not do a master's (laughs) if you need advice don't come to me um i've just been telling everyone to don't do it unless you really 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 love what you're doing or you really need it to go into a specific job which is the case that I'm in then okay fair it's a year like do your thing but don't underestimate me yeah I think that's the key thing it's like it's not like oh never don't even consider doing it it's like just if you are going to do it make sure you're fully aware of how much it can be for you yeah and it's like I really thought I knew and then I got here and then it hit me even harder. And it's little things that I didn't read up on, like stuff like when is when's your final date? When's your dissertation due? When when you're gonna graduate? Like, and then you know, um, what modules you're gonna I'm like actually looking into the modules beforehand instead of just like showing up on the first day and being like, Oh, that's what this is about, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game compared to um undergrad. And 
because I because my undergrad was all literally all COVID. Mm. Half my second year, and then all of my third year was just pure COVID, online uni, online exams, lectures, um, coursework, everything. So going to not only undergrad to postgrad, but also like everything virtual and Zoom to back to face to face. Luckily, my exams are online still, but just like the being in Nottingham and then having like to build a routine around lectures and stuff like it's just been great but you're nearly I, I want to say you're nearly on the other side but I'm aware like you've nearly finished coursework but then you've got exams so it's just no, it's like because people keep saying like you're nearly there you're nearly there and to be fair my last exam is on the first of June so it's less than a month away at this point but this the next month is going to be crazy. Like I've got, I mean, two courseworks this week and then one more next week. That'll be my last coursework ever. And then three exams. <laughs> so. Peace, sign and vibes. Literally peace, sign and vibes. That's how I'm getting through this. And when I tell you like, okay, so the last coursework has kicked my butt, honestly, like so bad, like, so it was like this lab report and it was all like stats and we had to do like analyses on like data. Ugh. And um, I had to, so I was literally just having a breakdown and I had to do my makeup to stop myself from crying. Like it got to that point and then I cried anyway. So you wouldn't advise that technique for people out there then? I mean, it worked for like a couple of hours. I said like six hours it worked and then I got some fire selfies out of it as well, to be fair. Um, but then when the selfies stopped and then I had to like do the work. Yeah, sorry, nothing's going to help at that point. Fair enough. I yeah. mean, temporary, temporary solve. Yeah, I'm also like, my advice would be to like just work the way that helps you. So if that's like with music, without music, with like, I don't know, lo-fi, rain sounds, just do it, man. Like I'm nocturnal now, fully. I sleep at nine in the morning. Oh my gosh. I sleep from nine to one. I wake up, I do like life things, like one to eight, sleep from eight to 11, and then I work from 11 to nine in the morning. Why? It's the only way I get things done. It is the only way. Like, if I sit here in the day, like, I sat here in the day trying to do my next coursework, nothing, nada. I just sat here, did makeup, put some clips in my hair. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Life's great. Now is when it starts. After this. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I do get that some people, like me included, I think, do find it easier to work when it's dark outside. I don't know why. Like, it's... Yeah, I think it gets me in a zone. And I get no distractions because everyone's sleeping um and I just feel like I don't know I just think I feel more committed to it because I feel like in the day you're always like oh I can always do it in the night but in the night there's literally no choice yeah very true so it's, it's sort of like I mean I'm no, I don't think either of us are on Helena's level but it's like you know how she literally leaves things at the very last minute and it just does it all at once that works first so it's sort of like uh, very much a lesser version of that in terms of like you kind of have to just get on with it sort of thing yeah and like to be fair I'm lucky that now it's summer I know we've spoken about like um how the weather can affect your mood a lot so I think now like it starts to get light at like five and then by six it's like proper light light so it definitely helps like if you're staying up all night like at least it gets a light and then I can sleep and then if I wake up it's still afternoon but I've still got like seven more hours of daylight whereas before if I was waking up at 1 p.m I'd have like three hours 
and then you, I think you mm. just go crazy. Yeah, be be careful though, because I listening to that um, schedule that you've got going on, I can imagine that taking its toll at some point. I can't definitely can't advocate for it being healthy, but I think it's the only way right now that I know I'm going to get work done. Yeah, maybe uh, like once it's um once your coursework's done, try it. Yeah, I don't think I'll do it for the exams. I don't think I'll do it for the exams. I think I just do it for the coursework. Yeah, I mean, especially considering that your exams probably are around that 9 a.m. point, so you can't really sleep then. It's around 2 in the afternoon. Okay, well, still, I wouldn't advise it. Yeah, it's true. In America, um, there's been leaked documents from the U.S. Supreme Court, which has suggested that they are now in favour of overturning the Roe v. Wade ruling, which um, was the case that decreed that um, it's a woman's fundamental right to have, um, what's it, I think a, a healthy reproductive, no, access to healthy reproductive care systems, I think it is. Basically, it's the ruling that allowed um, abortion to become legal in America and it was ruled in the early 70s um, however it's these reports were leaked and it's now been confirmed that if the U- US Supreme Court do actually overturn this then abortion has the potential to become illegal in the US in 22 states which obviously is like nearly half of them um, which would be a major step back from where everything is right now um Simran any initial thoughts as a woman yourself I just think for a country like America I know we say that and then like they have all these other laws anyways that are just wild and you just think like god you know you you have expectations of countries like America as a superpower as like a very modern developing you know they kind of lead the world in terms of culture pop culture technology advancements and everything like that we look to America to kind of like set the precedent for a lot of things, I think. And when they do stuff like this, you're just going back, what, five decades? Mm. And it's just crazy. And my main thing is, is that you literally, you can't ban abortions. You can only ban safe abortions. And banning abortions doesn't change the amount of women that are going to obtain an abortion. It just changes the amount of women that are going to die from one. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was in the um, stats which we um, posted yesterday. So the abortion rate um, is 37 per 1,000 people in countries that broadly prohibit abortion. In countries that broadly allow for abortion, it's 34 per per 1,000. So it's actually abortion is more common in countries that prohibit it than allow it, which is an interesting statistic. Um, then worldwide, 25 million unsafe abortions take place each year, resulting in an estimated 68,000 maternal deaths and a 20% risk of serious medical and complications following it. So, and that's already that's how already has as things are. So, if to to reinforce um, the idea of abortions being illegal again which is obviously just going to add to that statistic Um, because like you say you can never um truly ban 
um, abortion because people are just going to find other means to do it. And um, I'm not going to say that not everybody goes into um, having an abortion carried out um, lightheartedly because some people do and that's perfectly fine like it means more to people than it does to other people mm-hmm. they shouldn't be telling people how they should feel about it but at the same time I think anyone that has an abortion is obviously going to be of sound mind and have the ability to actually decide they want to do it and they've got reasoning even even if that reasoning is that they just don't want to have a child uh-huh. it's their their body they should be able to decide that i was going to say at the end of the day it comes down to ownership of women's bodies and these are majority men making these rules first of all but mm-hmm. also like what you just said in terms of, i see a lot of like obviously people are picking up on this story now and like the coverage of it is picking up and people are saying a lot of things like oh what if it's a the pregnancy is a product of sexual assault or what if um the mother's life is in danger or you know like quite extreme reasons while also all valid by the way but equally valid reasons are things like women that just can't you know maybe financially provide emotionally provide physically provide for the child failed birth control or simply just not wanting the pregnancy yeah, exactly the, la- the last one i think is the real thing that kind of needs to be drilled into some people's heads which is like you like it's it's okay for women to just not want to have a baby they don't need to have any sort of incentive behind it they could be um objectively in the best position to raise a child they could be uh, have nurturing motherly characteristics could be financially stable could have a loving family around them and they could still decide not to have it and that that's fine still completely valid yeah exactly and I think a lot of like the reasoning, I'm not taking it away in that you would feel emotionally attached as a woman to your pregnancy, but also you equally don't have to be like, it is what it yeah. is. You feel how you feel. But I, I think there may be a certain level of attachment that you could feel towards a pregnancy, but also a lot of that guilt surrounding whether the conversation, whether you may want to consider keeping a, a, the baby or not is rooted in either religious beliefs or just the societal kind of enforcements of that belief upon you saying that women are expected to carry the pregnancies through despite health complications or emotional complications or a home life that might be difficult or once again simply just not wanting it to do it you know mm-hmm. and for other people to make that decision and to police women's bodies even more so than already exists is just crazy and like i said in a country like america yeah in 2022 i think that's the thing as well it's that all the arguments that we've put forward at the moment are sort of like in regarding to in, in regards to how an individual might feel about their own pregnancy if they are pregnant and might need to decide whether or not they want to have an abortion but that being said i don't really understand why it has to be that the powers that be decide what other people are doing do you know what i mean like why like why is it that um you're going up to and just why is it that people are deciding for people that they don't even know like they're just setting it in stone becoming part of legislation that you have to do this with your body if you get pregnant. I don't care about the circumstances behind it. Because it is ultimately, it's none of 
anyone's business like yeah. what anyone wants and Ameri- to do. america's tactical in that sense with a lot of things that they kind of blame it either on like their amendments or on religion right they use a religious basis to do it because obviously religion is quite embedded in american culture and i think that's the way that they get a lot of people to go with that mindset and believe certain like ideologies that are more traditional like this one and i feel like in 2022 in a country like america which is similar like in some places demographically to places in the uk it's very ethnically diverse not everyone is christian not everyone has a religion not everyone believes in god like people come from different places with different life experiences and i just feel like you can't keep imposing a one religion rule on people in countries that are so multicultural yeah it's i mean we say it every time that there's like a um, mass shooting or something in regards to gun control how it's um it's in the constitution so it's going to take a lot for it to change and it's just like <sighs> big side I don't know what to do about all this. Women need control over their bodies. And like you said, it's no one else's business for the reasons behind someone obtaining an abortion or not. And it shouldn't have to come down to like, the pregnancies because of a life-threatening illness or a complication or the pregnancy was due to like you know assault and violence and things like that. It shouldn't have to be like a massively extreme reason. It can be as simple as not wanting not wanting a pregnancy you know and it's up to that individual to make the decision not governments yeah all other noty people that's why i don't understand like i think it's a maybe a much more common thing in america but i'm sure it probably happens here as well those people that will literally go and um protest outside of um, abortion clinics with your life don't you have a job to spend your time and like in like some some of these girls like imagine being like a young girl like a teenage girl or like a young adult you'd probably be petrified going in there and then just to make things worse there's a crowd and they're telling you that you're like i don't know sinning or you're committing some atrocity here and like what the hell what, what are you actually doing with your life like, this is just sad like come on like you're just why are you trying to play God, first of all? And why are you trying to, like, influence the lives and it's not going to make a single difference to your day? Yeah. Whether someone obtains an abortion or not. I wonder how many of those people would, if it came to it, um, be like, okay, um, if if the person who's going to get an abortion was like, okay, I'll go through the pregnancy. When I have this baby, it's yours. If you want (laughs) it to come into this world, you can can raise it, you can look after it, you can pay for its education, its food, etc. If you're so into that, and I guarantee like, very few if any would actually say that they would be willing to do that. But even like even to simplify that further, to get those people to rally and care for something like knife crime or drug addiction, mm. something else that kills people now. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of yeah. you know talking about killing, not even killing, killing is the wrong word, but terminating a pregnancy, mm. the way they see it is killing that fetus. But that's not even you know in some depending on the how long you've been pregnant for. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, I, there are so many kids. Human yet. Yeah, there are so many kids out there that are in the system and are in need of yeah, being adopted. Why? Yeah. Foster care. Look at the foster care system in this country. It's in shambles. Mm. Knife crime in London. Like all these kids running around with knives and people killing each other here. People that are already alive. Mm-hmm. Where's your pro life then? Yeah. 
And it's like um, I said in the post as well, it's that most neuroscientists, even if we are to go down this route of, oh, you're um, quote killing unquote um, a fetus, um, most neuroscientists believe that the cortex in the brain is required to sense pain. And um, in the majority of pregnancies, that doesn't actually form until at least the 26th week, which is way after uh, most abortions are actually carried out. So there's no argument for saying, oh, you're putting the baby through pain because it's not even formed the concept of pain yet. It can't feel anything. It's, it's barely like, yeah. It's ridiculous. Like people that commit to being pro-life in this instance and A, they can't commit to being pro-life in any other instance that genuinely kills people who have been living for years and B, waste their time trying to impose these ideals on people whose minds are made up. These people, like you said, are of sound mind and that I doubt any of them are taking it lightly and are just like walking in there like it's nothing. I'm sure people do like weigh up the consequences, the pros and cons, and they, you know, they deliberate it even for five minutes in the head. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to try and impose that ideal on someone who's already probably, you know, scared, worried, anxious in that situation. I just think it's evil. Yeah. I keep on seeing interesting tweets which are talking about if men could be if men could get pregnant do you think we'd be in this situation I saw this thing and it was like um if men could get pregnant abortions would be available at drive-throughs they'd be available in Sainsbury's like you would just have them everywhere they'd be on tap it's the same with like um how um the what's it called the tampon tax and stuff like that like and yeah. oh, if men if men could have periods, we'd probably yeah. all get we'd probably all get three to five days off work a month because of it. If men felt the like the pain and the uncomfort that a discomfort that um a period like gives every single month, you know. Yeah, and that that's not even like a bad thing. It's just saying like it should be, and it's not like. <sighs> Like, it is just insane. And these rules are written by these same men that would 100% take time off if they had a period. And, like, oh, it's just crazy. Double standards. It hurts. It hurts, Carlos. Like, it's painful. So. I can't think about it too much. Yeah, well, what, thinking about this pain to distract from your current pain of Rude. exams. Rude. But like it's one of those things where like seriously, if you think about it too much, it's just ridiculous. Like it's, it's crazy. I went to Northern Ireland in I want to say 2018, um, and I want to say the laws have changed since. But I remember seeing like billboards, and they were just like guilt mongering of like women who are considering abortions, and it was outside of a hospital, um, and it was just I can't I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was basically just it was just a pro life billboard, and it was just like very intensely worded, and I just remember thinking, God, like. This is crazy. Like, it just blows my mind. Yeah. I think people just have too much time to their hands and have too much... Like, you have to be to be poking your nose that much over people's business. Like, right, yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio's South Asian show. My name's Gerns, and I'm joined here by writer and photographer Martin. Welcome back. How are you doing? Good, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really enjoying your, how do you describe it, um, serene background. Yeah, yeah. 
um, really suiting the vibes. Um, last time you had a bit of a beach for the Caribbean, Royals Caribbean tour, and now we've got the Northern Lights, and yeah. appreciate the green screen effort. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you've come on today because we've already covered it slightly in terms of Elon Musk and his um, purchasing of Twitter, taking over of Twitter, and um, why he's done so supposedly in the name of bringing back um, free speech. Um, however, I know you have a lot of expertise in this area because your master's is in um, media and communications, right? Yeah. So, so I'm presuming that that covered a lot in regards to um, free speech and what you can and can't say in regards to the media. Of course, yeah, and a lot to do with like, media regulation and social media platforms. Sure. So do you want to just give us your understanding or what is the actual definition of free speech in regards to media law? Okay, so I think where there's some confusion, particularly in Western discourse, is the idea that freedom of speech means freedom from consequence, which as a legal precedent does not exist. We have laws about libel, defamation, incitement to violence, incitement to racial hatred, etc., etc. So there's never been, well, perhaps there has somewhere in the distant past, but in the contemporary world, there hasn't been a situation where you can say anything you want all the time without reproach. Um, you'll see newspapers having to print corrections, people, you know, being sued for libel, etc., etc. So I think what we're seeing now is that post the Me Too movement of, I think it was 2016, a lot more people feel more comfortable speaking out against things they don't like, which is of course good. The natural pushback to that from more conservative voices will be playing the victim card and acting as if they're somehow being victimised or silenced for not being able to say absurd things. And now we've got a situation where there's a, a sort of confusion of free speech, um, what that means in a legal context and then what it means in public discourse. So, and do you think, also we talked obviously about like what um, is in a personal aspect in regards to what it would mean in legal discourse, do you think that it is, do you think that if you don't have a legal understanding of the term of free speech that you should be able to still navigate between what's right and wrong or do you feel like we should maybe give people a bit of leeway on it because how are they meant to know what? When, when you hear free speech, you automatically think, oh, well, I can say anything. Um, that's a really good question. I think in terms of if we're just an, an average Twitter user or social media user, uh, we'd like to believe that laws are governed by morality. Most of the time they're not, but in the case of this, I, it almost doesn't matter what the law is. If just as adults we could not say defamatory or you know, hateful things about other people, whether you feel the approach from the law or not, I just think that would be a good way to live. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's sort of where I kind of lie with. I'm sort of like, if you are, in my opinion, a, um, a, a person with strong morals, you automatically would veer on the true definition of free speech anyway, because why would you be constantly saying um, hateful things or needing to be saying all these because it, it's, it's always negative, isn't it? All, all this stuff is stuff that's related. It's rooted in negativity and hate. So why would you need to um, say that or constantly put out on social media? Um, 
which sort of brings us to Elon Musk, who I know you said before that you don't necessarily want to give him too much attention because he's someone who thrives off it. However, obviously, he's bought Twitter for $44 billion. He wants to supposedly bring back free speech. He's previously um, voiced his opposition to the banning of Donald Trump, um, which, although he was tweeting like a lot before then, that was questionable. Um, he was only banned for life after he incited the um, U.S. Capitol riots in 2021. Um, so with Elon Musk taking over Twitter, um, where do you sort of see this going? Is it something to worry about? Absolutely, yeah. That's that's the only thing that would make me give that guy any airtime. Um, I think if we look at the Capitol Hill riots, if we look at um, the Charlottesville riots, if you look at the impact um, that you know things like Reddit and 4chan have had in terms of facilitating incels and the terrorist attacks they've committed, if you look at the Christchurch shooting in um, New Zealand, it, you know it's it's very clear there's a clear causality between acts of terrorism and people being able to say whatever they like without reproach. Uh, there's an interview with Elon Musk on I think it's TED TED Talk sort of interview setup where he equates Twitter being the global equivalent of the town square where people should be able to say what they want. Within that analogy, that in of itself provides the perfect explanation of why you, know, you shouldn't be able to say whatever you want all the time on Twitter. Because if someone went into an actual town square and, I don't know, called for the extermination of an ethnic group, that would be incitement to racial hatred, which is illegal. So by his own analogy, the idea of people being able to say anything they want on Twitter without reproach doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the whole town square analogy, it's not like the town square is this magical land where you can just go in and just have face no repercussions for your actions. That town square is still um, falls within the law of the land and the law of the land has all these rules that relate to what you can say and what you can't say. Um, There's always these C analogies like, the town square or the marketplace of ideas that it's not a real place we live in the real world where there's real laws that everyone has to adhere to yeah whether we like it or not yeah yeah so obviously you said about how it's potentially something to worry about um where do you see twitter going then under elon musk do you see it becoming this sort of what he wants it to be town square idea or do you reckon it'll still be restricted because i know that the um social media regulators have already come out and said to elon musk like you just so you know like you are gonna have to follow these rules like you can't just do whatever you want in regards to twitter so that would maybe make me think that at least he is gonna have to follow some kind of um some kind of structure and some kind of rules in regards to what people can and can't say um but do you reckon you'll manage to get away around it or i mean just to go back to how you phrased the question you said will twitter become the town square or whatever you said that elon musk wants it to be you don't want to give too much you know gravity to his assertion that he wants twitter to be like a free speech marketplace he doesn't care about free speech it's just a lie if you look at tesla there's countless examples of them you know quashing people who want to start unions part of his bid to buy twitter is with money from a saudi prince um the saudi government do not have a great free speech record or indeed human rights record so 
the idea that Elon Musk in any way cares about the average person being able to express their opinions is just ludicrous. So moving past that, in my opinion, the reason um, for him buying Twitter and wanting it to be a place that's, you know, completely deregulated is just capitalism, basically. He's a businessman. Twitter is used by loads and billions of people, I imagine. Um, but they're also failing from a profit, you know, standpoint. They're, you know, seeing massive, like, deficits. Um, there's a great journal by the London School of Economics on media audiences. I forget who writes it, but they talk about the fact that the best way to sort of orchestrate variety online is by using high emotive content. So whether it's high emotive in the positive sense, like someone beating cancer or a wedding, or negative in terms of someone saying something super racist that everyone jumps in and makes comments about, either way, having content that makes people super emotional in some way gets attention. So if you buy Twitter and put in, I don't know, a paid subscription element to it, more advertisers, whatever it may be, then the more people using the platform, the more profitable it's going to be. So having people like Donald Trump, Y.E., Katie Hopkins, who will say preposterous things that then everyone has an opinion on will make more people use Twitter. That means advertisers would then have to pay Twitter more because Twitter can prove that more people use that platform. Um, so yeah, in terms of whether or not he'll be able to turn it into what he wants, i.e. a place for advertisers to make him richer, time will tell. Um, but I think we should acknowledge that that's what this is about. For sure. It makes a lot of sense, actually, because I remember, like, and you've already mentioned as well about how Twitter isn't doing that well financially um, in regards to, say, Facebook and Instagram, um, which you would, I, I remember thinking when I saw that Elon Musk was going for Twitter, I was like, oh, well, why is he not going for the top um, tier social media? Um, but I suppose that makes more sense when you think about stuff, Facebook and Instagram, it always sort of has like a, the ability, to, it's, it's a lot more private per se, whereas Twitter like it already has this sort of sense of like just everyone just yelling whatever comes to their mind first sort of thing. Of course, but it's like, you know, I'm by no means a stock expert or a crypto bro or anything. But one thing I have learned from the Wolf of Wall Street and like, I do DM me all the time about crypto is that when you buy something when it's underperforming, you stand to make more profit. So if Twitter is at a deficit and you buy it then and then make it profitable, that would be, I imagine, cheaper than trying to buy Instagram. So on Instagram, you know, you've got Instagram shopping, you've got paid advertising, reels now. It's very clear where the money can come from. With Twitter, not so much, but they have the audience. So if you can buy something that has that audience, then you're the one who makes it profitable. You stand to make more money. Mm. I could go on, on a whole tangent here as to why does he even need to make more and more money? But um, I don't think yeah, that's the question. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll let Halima discuss that another day. <laughs> but, but yeah, probably going to round things off there. Um, is there any final comments that you maybe wanted to pass on this whole situation yeah actually um it seems like a bit of a tangent but i'm sure most people were with the rwandan genocide i think in 1992 so there was a man called theosian kabuga who retrospectively was on the run for like at least a decade maybe two decades but yeah i think he was only apprehended in 2020 so what he did is he went on the radio advocating for you know the rounding up of people and that was 
seen as one of the key reasons why the Rwandan genocide happened. He himself never picked up a gun. It wasn't proven necessary that he supplied arms straight to the hands of people. But under international law, a bounty was basically put on him because there was an understanding that using media to incite violence has real-world goody consequences. And we all know how horrible the Rwandan genocide was. Now, in no way am I equating Elon Musk to the perpetrators of the Rwandan genocide. To be clear, I'm not saying it's the same thing. What I am saying is that we've for a long time had an understanding of how the incitement of different horrible ideologies can have real-world consequences. And that's something we need to be very careful and remember before we make stupid analogies about marketplace of ideas or town squares, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that happens a lot of the time. You have countless examples of actual, which can act as actual analogies, like it, it's happened before, like you should be learning from that. Um, yeah, the same thing. History repeats itself, right? Mm. Some things people never seem to learn. But yeah unfortunately <laughs> yeah time will tell and like say in terms of this twitter and free speech stuff but thank you so much for coming on the show today especially at the short notice um yeah um do you want to let people know where they can find your photography and stuff yeah that'd be great so you can find me on instagram at underscore martin Iwoma, and my website is www martin-woman.com.